Good morning, Eugene Church of Christ. Turn my screen there a sec. My little lights on, all my little routines to get going here. How are you guys? Okay? A little hot? So uh, already this morning, there's the stuff getting thrown at me uh, with all of the things that we're carrying as a church health issues that are ongoing, uh, uh, loss, suicide, um, marriages in crisis, uncertainty with jobs, um, issues with kids and parenting, and uh, it just kind of seems to come quick at us. Uh, even not knowing where to put certain people for classes, there's a scramble, and sometimes People look at me and it comes fast and I kind of have that deer in the headlights look. Recognize that you come to this place carrying a lot. We feel the strain of it. We feel anxious about it. We're hungry for healing. We're hungry for answers. Hold on to your uncomfortable thing, whatever your uncomfortable issues are, because today's sermon is for me and it's for you. But uh, before we get into the sermon, we have so many different moving pieces. I want to take a moment just to help make you aware of some of them. We have a new adult Bible class starting. This is for those out of high school, in college, in your 20s, 30s, young professionals, young without a clue whatever you can categorize yourself as. Uh, Jonathan McKenzie Kirk will be teaching that in one of the classrooms upstairs across from the teen classroom. Uh, so go, go up there. And uh, I said, can I go into that class? And McKenzie said, no, you're in your 40s, Calvin. And I said, well, that's all right. I'm pretty cool in my 40s. And she said, no, you'll kill the vibe. So whatever that means. Also, my daughter tells me a lot, Sadie, that I'm a killer of vibes, so we're figuring this out. Next week, I'll be sharing results. Remember that congregational survey that we took? So there's some, uh, there's some observations that I want to point us to, uh, and we'll do that next week because we have a lot planned for today. And then after our invitation this morning, we're going to ask all of our young people, our students, uh, Parents with kids, wherever you're at, we have uh, upcoming school year, we have kids that are going upgrades, we have new school situations. We just want to support our kids and be prayerful over them. And so uh, we're going to have some of our elders say that prayer, lay hands, and uh, we're going to bless our kids this morning. Then immediately following services, uh, some of you have heard, and maybe you're just hearing about it now, if you have not been paying close attention, uh, we are starting a care ministry, and that's following today's service. And I'll be meeting with you in the fellowship hall, and we'll be discussing some of the details of that. It's just how are you going to build relationships intentionally. So it's a ministry of visitation and intercessory prayer and intentionality and acts of hospitality. So if you're curious at all, it's not a commitment day, but you will be asked for a commitment today. Then we'll give you a week to think about it, how you would like to maybe be involved in that ministry. All right, we are starting something new. I got all these pieces that come September 1st. So a lot of you guys travel in the summers. A lot of you guys have a lot of different things going on. 
If you haven't noticed, though, the devil does not take the summer off. But the good news for us is either either does the Lord. And so now we're starting kind of this new fall routine. And some of the things that I think that are important for us to be doing, we need, with all we're thrown at us, we need to learn how to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And one of the best ways we can, we can do that is to put the Word of God in here. Because you get the Word of God in here, it ends up in here. If it ends up in here, it comes out of here. And it has fruit beyond what we even can expect. So we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 6. I thought that was a particularly good verse. We had ladies uh, Bible class study the, uh, this uh, armor of God. And we are in a battle, brothers and sisters. And we need to recognize that. There is spiritual warfare going on in this place. And so we're going to start with that. I, if you have other suggestions you want to make to me, of key scripture that you think it might be good if we spent some time chewing on this as a congregation. Let me know. We're still, this is, this is a piece that we're still putting the wheels on this car, so to speak. And so I welcome your input with that. And if I don't do anything that you suggest, you'll have to forgive me. <laughs> All right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. We're just going to keep that before us, before our eyes, in our thoughts, in our minds. We're going to not move real quick every week something new. We're going to chew on a little bit larger chunks of Scripture, and we're going to try to ingest those together as a congregation. We're just putting that challenge out there. So consider uh, spending some time with these words from Ephesians 6 to start with. Another event to be aware of. With all the things that are coming, all the transitions we're going into as we start a new fall semester, as uh, we are growing as a congregation... We are going to have a day of fasting and prayer this Saturday, September 7th. And we're going to be fasting and praying over our relationships. And I'm asking you as a church to join me in that. So some of the critical areas that I want us to fast and pray for spiritual breakthrough in are the following. 
our children, relationships with their children, transitions our children are going through. We need to pray for our marriages. We have marriages that are hurting. We have crises going on. We're not aware of all of the time. We need to pray for the unity of this church. There are challenges that come just from even a smaller group like this being together. We need to pray for deeper relationships with each other. So you can decide how you want to do this on Saturday. Maybe breakfast is your meal to skip. Maybe lunch, maybe dinner. If you want to skip two meals. Typically you would skip the food part and you would still drink water to keep hydrated. If you wanted to do a media fast, whichever way you can do this, uh, fast from your normal things and routine. This is letting go of one thing and taking up another thing. And so we're taking up that time of prayer. If you would rather be in prayer in a community, you can come over to our house. The address is up there if you want to write that down so you're not asking later. Uh, Come over to our house. We're going to have lunchtime fasting and prayer at the Gruens, spiritual lunch provided. And so if you have special dietary needs, you can let us know, but it will be a gluten-free offering. Uh, 12 o'clock, Myrna Avenue. We're going to pray. If you will do this with me, raise your hand right now. In some way, if you will fast and pray with your church. Okay. Consider that. So you've said you'll do this with me. This is, this is important. We need to find ways to be doing these kinds of things together. Because we are not powerless against what the enemy throws our way. But we need to be diligent and we need to press forward. All right, some other good things that I want you to know about. Uh, Jeremiah Taylor was baptized on Thursday evening, and uh, it was a whirlwind kind of day, and it was a beautiful thing. And I praise God, this, this young man, if you know him, he's been through the ringer, he's been through a lot of challenges, and uh, we just want to encourage him. If you want to send him a card, let him know how great you think this is, do that. Encourage Chloe and Jeremiah in some way, if you would be willing to do that. It was a great event. It was down in, yeah. Clap for that. From darkness to light and taking, taking that commitment with the Lord seriously. It was at the Willamette River. Roy did the baptism. You know how rivers are, though. There's current, the bottom's uneven, there's sharp rocks, things like that. And it ended up being a double baptism. So, (laughs) praise God. We still get it done by immersion around here, though. All right. So let's jump into our text this morning. We are continuing our series, almost wrapping it up, the hidden music of John's Gospel. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So it's an early morning 
excursion to the tomb where heartbroken Mary makes her way to, in her own way, say goodbye, her own small way, to say goodbye to the Savior that she loves, that she thinks is gone. And so the darkness of her heart reflects the darkness of this early Sunday morning. But when she arrives, her grief is interrupted by something unthinkable. Grave robbers have stolen the body of Jesus. This, even, even as bad as things are now, this defilement kind of takes place. And so she runs back to Peter and John and tells them what has happened. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. So I'm not exactly sure everything that John is trying to communicate by telling us the story of this foot race. Uh, It could be symbolic in some way. John is in a better place than Peter at this point. Peter had just denied Jesus. And and so Peter's wrestling with all those internal struggles, but John still defers to Peter's leadership and waits for him to enter the tomb first. There might be some symbolism going on there. Or it could simply just be uh, letting us know John is a younger man. Maybe he's just in better shape. Peter's an older guy. But where John hesitates, Peter, true to his personality, he runs right into the thick of things, doesn't he? Then from the details we discover, wait a minute, this is not a grave robbery. Why would robbers leave costly linen and spices just laying around? Why would they take time to carefully fold up the cloth that had been covering Jesus' head? Grave robbers wouldn't do that. So finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. (coughs) Excuse me. So John sees this evidence and believes that Jesus has been raised. He doesn't believe because the tomb is empty, but he believes because he sees these grave clothes sitting there. And Peter, he's still in doubt about this whole situation. I think Peter, he still feels the guilt and shame of denying Jesus He is on the scene, but he's not sure what to make out of the evidence or the details. And then there's this woman, Mary. She's she's standing there. She's crying. She's making everyone uncomfortable. You know how women crying, you know, makes people... Have you ever noticed that when a woman is crying, guys tend to disappear in their own small little ways? They kind of sneak out of the room if they can. Uh... There have been times that I've come home to my house and I found my wife with all three of my daughters crying at the same time. And I kind of want to just run and hide from that whole situation. So it doesn't take very long and then we find James or we find uh, John and Peter, they've gone back home. Who wants to stand around this woman who's hysterical crying? 
And Mary's alone there at the tomb now. But then it turns out she's not alone. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Through her tears, she sees these angels. Uh, John says it's two angels in this case. But if she recognized them as angels in that moment, I'm not sure. At any rate, Mary's still crying through this whole process. It's very confusing for her. She's not sure how to interpret this. Then they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. Sometimes we feel that way. Our situations in life, they've taken our Lord away. We don't know where to find Him. We don't know where He is. So the angels ask Mary this question, and then Jesus comes and asks this same question to her, which marks it as significant. At this, she turned around and say Jesus stand, saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Of course, Jesus knew it was him that she was looking for, but he's inviting Mary to put words to her pain. Jesus' body, which she had come to anoint, it was gone. And imagine the depth of anguish and confusion. Not only had her Lord and Master been crucified, but someone had now stolen his body. And now these guys are sitting in the tomb wearing white, not sure what that's about. And now this new guy comes and he's asking me these questions, not sure who he is, the gardener or something. And when Jesus asked the question, Why are you crying? It's a question that began a new journey for Mary. Both into and through her pain. She's invited by Jesus to put words to what she's feeling. Don't miss the significance of that. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. I think this is a question that the Lord asks us as well. Think about all those heavy things that, you know, I mentioned some of them early on. All these things that were attacked by, all the things that we're fasting over and praying and, and inquiring the Lord's help. Think about the tears in your own life. Don't pretend you don't have them, guys. You have them. Think about the, the last time you cried. And then God, when He comes to us, He asks us, why are you crying? Why are you crying? What do you say to Him? 
Can you put a name to your, to your hurts? Can you tie words to your fears? Can you put words to your broken dreams? Why are you crying? Notice also Jesus, he doesn't say, stop crying. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be crying. This is nothing to cry about. Jesus, he doesn't say, I'll give you something to cry about. See, our tears are a gift. Our tears put us in touch with our pain. They help us to know where we are hurting. They're a sign of something more. A diagnosis tool for the heart. When God comes to us and asks us, why are you crying? We are invited to face the story behind our tears. You know there's a story behind your tears, don't you? Sometimes it's tied to immediate events. Sometimes it's a bigger history. Sometimes it's more than we know. Certainly, this is what he was inviting Mary to do. He was asking her to examine her pain, to put words to her sorrow, to allow her tears to find their voice. And now what's this business of confusing Jesus with the gardener? She thought, she thought it was the gardener asking her this question. Well, in the hidden music of John's Gospel, we are being invited back to the Garden of Eden, I think. The story in Genesis where God first created people and then gave them responsibility to care for a garden. You remember the story the Garden of Eden, don't you? And instead of taking care of the garden and each other and trusting God, they end up in rebellion against God, trying to do things their own way. And as a result, they lose their place in the garden. They are cast out from the garden. Then tearful things enter, like shame and sorrow and separation. See, paradise was lost and Adam and Eve found themselves living outside the garden that was meant to be their home. The place that was safe for humanity. The place where God takes care of everything. So it's no coincidence that the story of sin and rebellion begins in a garden, and now we find ourselves in a garden once again. Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the garden where the tomb is. Adam was called to care for a garden while Mary mistook Jesus for a gardener. Sin began in a garden and the process of death was initiated in a garden. And now death, death is defeated in a garden. And Jesus Christ, the gardener of our souls, comes to Mary in her tears to bring her the resurrection gift of starting over again and he does this, and he starts this process by softly speaking her name. Jesus said to her, one word. This is where everything changes. Mary. Mary. 
Mary, she's busy, she's searching for Jesus. And yet now it's Jesus who finds her. And in speaking her name, in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, despair gives way to wonder, and sadness is suddenly overwhelmed by joy. This is the moment that we are waiting for ourselves. The moment when we hear our God call us by name. Isaiah 43, 1 and verse 4 says, Do not be afraid, for I have liberated you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You are precious to my eyes and honored, and I love you. That's the words of our God. See, we all get wrapped up in these situations around us, our little engineering projects of life, where we're trying to manage our lives we're trying to make our lives work, but we can't do it alone, and, and life is tough, and the challenges that we face, they're overwhelming. Our own failures, they overwhelm us. And like Mary, we feel the pain, and we feel the loss, and we feel like there's nothing left for us to do except to grieve and to mourn and to give up. God is standing right there with us, and although we may know Him well, in these situations that come up sometimes, we don't recognize that He's there. We still don't recognize Him until the gardener of our souls Himself speaks our name. And when God comes to me and He speaks my name, Calvin, my reality changes. See, the Lord, when He shatters our isolation and our pain and reveals Himself by speaking our name, Everything changes. And when he speaks our name, resurrection power is revealed. See, Mary, she, in this case, she is representative of each one of us. Bewildered in grief, in loss, running around looking for a dead body. And then Jesus finds her and calls her by name. So too, each of us is waiting to be found and called by name. turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai! Which means teacher. Why teacher? Because I think the resurrection is the greatest story that humanity has to learn. It's the greatest lesson that we are meant to to learn. Because resurrection is the proof that you can trust God. Resurrection is the proof that you can trust God. Resurrection is the proof that you will get your healing. Resurrection is the, the proof that you were right to fight for your marriage, that you were right to fight for the salvation of your children. Resurrection is the proof that you will receive the answers you've been longing for. Resurrection is the proof that you will receive the community and the love that you deserve and have been longing for. Resurrection is the proof that you will receive justice and that you will receive grace and mercy. Resurrection is the proof of David's words written 
hundreds of years before in Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of my sorrows. You have collected my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And then later in John's life, he writes these words. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, look, I'm making everything new. By faith, if you believe that, you can experience resurrection power even now. Behold, I make everything new. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning of everything new. And there's something humble in the story of this resurrection, this first appearance of Jesus. It's not to his enemies. Hey, I told you. It's not to his disciples, not at first. The first appearance now is to an emotional woman. A woman who is lost in grief, a woman who is consumed by her tears, a heartbroken and confused woman. That's who Jesus chooses first. See, Jesus values Mary. He comes to her, even though he's still not ascended to his joyful reunion with God the Father. Jesus allows himself to be interrupted to meet Mary in her pain and in her moment of need. And then he gives her a message to share. She is the first post-resurrection missionary commissioned by God. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them uh, that she told them what he had said, uh, that he had said these things to her. Sorry. So also this message that she's given by Jesus. We need to hear the message from Jesus that together with Christ, we are the children of God. See, it's not as as the hero that Jesus comes. It's in in humility. He says, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus comes to us as our brother in this moment. Reminding us that we are all children of God together. It's going back to John chapter 1, 11 and 12, I think. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
overjoyed. So after this puzzling uh, series of events, a missing body, the rantings of Mary, who's obviously hysterical, it looks like they largely ignored her. We find the disciples confused and afraid, behind locked doors, not wanting to be discovered. And then suddenly Jesus is there, Star Trek beamed right in their midst, it seems like. Their fear, their confusion, their locked door are not able to keep Jesus out. They're not, they're, they're prepar- the, the things that they did to protect themselves and isolate themselves, Jesus breaches right through all that. It doesn't stop Jesus from speaking a blessing of peace over them in their midst. And then he helps the disciples believe and shows them the wounds on his physical, very physical body. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus, who was a perfect example of faithfulness to God the Father, now says, hey, brothers and sisters, you know what? It's your turn now. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What's going on in these verses? I just want to draw one last conclusion and we'll be done. I think the mission of God is being shared in this moment. The Father sent me, now I send you. We have a mission. We have purpose. You know how hard it is to live life without clear purpose? We have purpose. And then Jesus gives the means. He breathes on them. The Holy Spirit is associated with this event. We are armed. The memory verse that we're looking at Uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are armed. So we have been given a mission. We have been given the means to carry it out. And then Jesus also gives authority, which basically means we have a chain of command that backs us. If you don't understand that you have a mission, you're not going to be very satisfied with your life. When it comes to the mission of God, we're trying to have our own way and then tack him on a little bit. We act like that verse in in, uh, Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount says, uh, seek first all your needs and everything you desire, and the kingdom will be added to you as well. We get that backwards, don't we? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the mission of God, what he's trying to do and accomplish. And then the means, the fullness of significance of what Jesus does in this moment by breathing on them and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. It's soon to be realized in the day of Pentecost when the full expression of that comes about. And then authority. We stumble on this one sometimes because sometimes we take it too far. We think that policing the church is our job somehow, but it's not something that's a spiritual gift or role that's recognized in the New Testament, just so you know. 
It's also not your church's job to acquiesce to your every whim and want and desire. And then on the other side of that, we have a lot of men and women who are shy to boldly take up the authority that is given to them in Christ Jesus. And we have fatalities, among, we, we have missed opportunities because we are not bold to claim the authority that Jesus Christ gives us. You are a priest of our living God. You have been commissioned by God. His Holy Spirit lives in you. Hold on to that. Own that. Don't say, that's Calvin's job. Or who am I to say anything? You have a mission given to you by God. You have the means to accomplish it. You are authorized to do it. That's good news. When Jesus reveals himself to Mary and then to the disciples, when he speaks her name, in that moment, Jesus gives them purpose. In that moment, they have means. And he authorizes them to do the work that he himself did. And Jesus' invitation to participate in the mission of God, it continues for his church today. That is why we're here. That is why we're meeting in this place. Take that seriously, brothers and sisters. There's life in that and great opportunity. Let resurrection joy come into the challenges of your own life as you wait for the Lord to call you by name. And He will. He will. And you walk forward in that faith, in that expectation. Your life is going to do amazing things. To God be the glory. So if you have any needs that you would like to share with this congregation, prayers for this church, put the Lord on a baptism, whatever uh, needs you have, you can make them known. Come forward and tell me about those as we stand and sing together.